We've been in a series called Storytime. In Storytime, we've been going through the parables of Jesus, and this is the last sermon in Storytime series. <laughs> um, but I wanted to wrap it up with, um, with a, a, a parable, with a parable that helps us, helps us uh, figure out what to do when we mess up big time. Who's messed up before? Anybody? I'm trying to be like, I'm trying to be like Oneida, she never messed up. <laughs> oh man, it's, it's, and, and, it's really a, and it's really a story about, uh, about how we can relate to our Heavenly Father. Amen, how we can relate to our Heavenly Father. Um, but sometimes what happens is our experiences here on earth affect how we view things, right? So some of us, to, to say some of us, um, the extent of our relationship with our Heavenly Father many times is affected by our experience with our earthly father. And so some of us had a privilege to grow up with a loving father, a caring father, one that was present, one that worked and made sure that they provided one. But, but not all of us had that. Not everyone had that experience. And so some of us have had fathers that maybe were not around or maybe they were abusive or maybe, you know, they, they, they didn't really pour into your life. They, they, they pulled your life down by, by what they spoke into you or, or whatever the case may be. And so sometimes when, when, you, when, you, when you kind of desire to have this relationship with our Heavenly Father, it's even using the term sometimes is like cringy, Right? Like, the second you hear father, some of us are like, ah, you know? But Jesus wanted to show us that our heavenly father is, 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 is one that is, it, 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 it cannot compare to any earthly father. Even the great fathers that we have, our heavenly father is, is beyond, beyond what we could even imagine. You know, Jesus wanted to show us, and and he's going to speak to us in this parable, that our Heavenly Father isn't one of those dads that was just waiting for you to mess up. You know what I mean? You know how some some people in our lives just waiting for you to mess up so they could be there, and they'd be like, aha, I caught you. I caught you. You know, um, my dad wasn't always waiting for me to mess up. But I have a story that I would like to share with you this morning about me messing up. Um, I was probably about 15 years old, um, and, and in my teen years, it was weird because, like, in my teen years, my circle, they were all older than me. And so I was 15, and everyone was 18 and up in my circle. So I was the young guy in the group, and I was the one with the curfew, and I was the one that had to get home right away. And, you know, it, it kind of was like, uh, the, you know, I was the one who messed up all the plans because they had to leave early to drop me off. Well, one day I didn't want to be that guy, and I was just like, no, no, my dad said it's cool. Just let's, let's keep hanging out. It's okay. And, uh, you know, this is pager time, guys. Remember pagers, beepers? So I, I, my beeper did go off a couple times. I looked at it. I'm trying to play it off. Like, okay, I got to go. I got to go. Anyways, I'm, they're driving me home, and my friend Kenny's driving me. He's in the wheel. And um, I used to go into the back door in my house. It was the quietest. The front door made too much noise. The back door was the best. And also, I can, like, go into the back door and then just grab a throw blanket and then lay on the couch pretending I was there the whole time, never having to go upstairs. Um, But the problem was this night was that as the car pulled up to the back of the house, right, on the porch with the light brightly lit sat my father in his underwear on a summer night for the whole neighborhood to, I mean it was late but he was out there just hanging out and I'm like oh man and so um it wasn't a very good end to the evening not only was I embarrassed 
not only was I embarrassed, my dad's just out there letting it all hang out, right? But the <laughs> but mom, but I also got got uh, punished for being late. Um, but Jesus isn't like that. He's not sitting there. He's not sitting there waiting for you to mess up to then punish us. That's not the father that we have. That's not our, that's not our heavenly father. You know, Jesus, he tells us a story about God as the loving, lovingly heavenly father, loving heavenly father that we find in Luke chapter 15, where in the beginning, right, verse 11, it says, a certain man had two sons. Now, many of us have called this the parable of uh, the prodigal son, right? And, uh, and it's about the, a guy that makes some mistakes and he realizes he was wrong. Um, but today, we're not going to really just talk of just about him, but we want to focus on this father, this father figure in the story, right? Um, and in this, Jesus has some important things that he wants to teach us about God the Father. So let's turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 13. It says, the word says, Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger, man, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them, he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with a prodigal living. First thing I want to, the first thing I want to mention is this about our Heavenly Father. Is God loves you so much that he will allow you to make your own choices. You know that? Some people are like, can I live? My daughter did that to me the other day in front of, oh, I think, Ray, uh, I, don't, I think Rachel was there and somebody else. And it's kind of embarrassing when your 60-year-old daughter tells you, can I live? What do you mean, can you live? You're living because I'm, I'm letting you live. I feed you. You're living because of me. Um, she just, her choices are limited. She does not have the right to make all the choices she wants to make. I make those choices for her. So she feels like she can't live. And guess what? Many times we feel that way too, but the reality is you can make your own choices. We serve a loving God that he allows you to make your own choices. He said, a certain man had two sons. Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. The one thing that disturbs us about God, and I'm going to say disturbs us, is that um, he will refuse to step in. He will refuse to step in um, and stop us or others from doing what is wrong. Now, it really disturbs you more when he refuses to stop somebody else, right? We usually be like, God, why don't you stop that? How can you let them do this? Why is she doing this? Why is he doing that? But you, we, uh, rarely do we say, like, God, why did you let me? We always seem to see and point all, uh, uh, like out, outwardly on hoping that God would step in and interfere and not allow other people to do certain things, certain things. But God has given us this awesome gift of free will. Now, we would, sometimes we, we, we like, we like, we would think that we would like for God to be more controlling. Um, you know, that way we'd never have to get into trouble. Like if God just controlled it, I mean, I would not get in trouble. I wouldn't do the wrong things. We would like him to have the force. We would, like, we would like to see him force others to do the right thing so that we would never be hurt, right? You know, we get hurt when other people do bad things to us. But if God would just force them to not do these things, we would never experience this. But God knows that the moment he forces us to do his will, it means nothing. Do you understand this? The moment he forces us to do his will, it means nothing. When he said he divided to him his livelihood, right? The father decided, okay, fine, you want this, I'm going to give you this. Now, if you read the Greek text, right, and, and, and it, the, the literal translation, it says he divided to them his life. Like he divided his life to them. The father, he gives in to his son, but he doesn't give in to his son because he's a permissive parent. He doesn't give in to his son um, because, because uh, he didn't care what happened to his son or because he, 
he didn't like uh, worry at all. He gave to his son because, because he was giving his son what he thought he wanted. His son thought this is what he wanted. And so the father said, if this is what you want. Sometimes the worst thing God can do for us is allow us to have what we think we want. How many people have had things that they wanted and realized it was definitely not something that God would have wanted them to have? But God, how can you, if you know it, if you knew you didn't want me to have it, why you let me have it? And then we try to blame it on him. Because you wanted it. You made that decision. But God allows us to have what we think we want in the hope that one day we would want something better, in the hope that one day we would want something true, right? True according to his word, true not according to what the world says is true. The truth is that in the pursuit of pleasure, pain would be this young man's constant companion until all the images of the world's uh, enticements are replaced by the images of a home that he once was at, a home that he was covered, he was safe, he was fed, he was loved, right, and valued. This story shows us three ways the prodigal son offends his father. One thing about being a dad is that um, we, we get offended, right? How many fathers get offended? How many, how many fathers have been offended by their children? Like young and grown. Kevin, you never offend me, Kevin. You never offend me. Young and old. It happens. Our children offend us. People offend us. Um, but how we react to those offenses makes all the difference. And this story shows us three ways a prodigal son offends his father. The first thing is he asks for his inheritance early. Yo, give me what is mine. Now, some of you guys say, well, that's not exactly how it says. No, that's exactly how I would have taken it if I was that dad, right? If Kevin comes up to me right now and was like, yo, I know you're not dead yet, but can you empty your bank account? Can I get it? I'm like, well, what about me? What am I going to do? I'm not worried about you right now. Just give me what's going to be mine after you die. You haven't died fast enough. Do you understand that this is exactly what he did to his dad? He went up because, you know, the custom is that when a father passes away, the land is divided by the, to the sons, and obviously the older son gets a little bit more, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, he went to his living father and says, I'm not waiting till you die. You're not dead yet. I'm trying to live. Can you let me live? And he says, so give me, give me what's mine, and um, you might as well be dead to me because I ain't coming back. Tell me this father was not offended. Tell me. What father in here would not be offended by that? Man, I want what is mine. I could care less about how you feel, about what you're thinking. And you know, the sad thing is that we're living in times that we're surrounded by people like this all the time, where people are just worried about what they want, how they want to get it, when they want to get it, and they could care less about anybody else. We are living in a, in a selfish, self-entitled uh, 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 times, and people, selfless? What's selfless? What does that mean? Oh, you mean like I got to care about you more than I got to care about me? <laughs> no. That's how, that's, that's how, that's the world that we're living in right now. And the church, we have to see, we, we have to be obviously different from that. It has to be obvious that we're different from that. It can't be like, oh, well, they're almost like that. No, we're supposed to be a selfless people. The word calls us to be selfless, to put others before yourselves. Give me what is mine. His second, his, his second offense was that he, <laughs> he sold it. Like, he sold it. Okay, let me, let me explain to you what happens. Um, 
The guy dies, he breaks it down to his sons, the sons would take it, and then they would raise their families in that, and then they would pass it to their sons, and they would pass their sons. And so that land, that inheritance will remain part of the family lineage for as long as it possible. That was something to be, to be you know, some, you know uh, uh, that was something proud that our family has acquired. You work hard. You gain stuff. You can share it with your family from generations to generations to then have this spoiled, rotten kid come and just be like, give me what's mine. All right, I'm selling this. And just giving it away just like that. Not caring how it would affect his family, the lineage, the next generations. He didn't think about any of that. He didn't care about any of that. He sells it. Completely selfish. Takes one-third, about one-third of the family resources, sells it, and leaves home to live it up. Now, (laughs) when you read the story and you read him, you know, when you're just studying this, especially these first couple verses, you can tell that there was no intentions on coming back. Do you understand? He took what was his, then he sold it. What's he going to do? Where is he going to come back to? He sold what was his. In his mind, he was like, I got mine. I'm going out to see the world, and I'm never coming back. That's what was in his mind. That's what he was thinking about. He had no intention of returning. So third thing is that he squandered his inheritance. Not only did he get it early, he sold it, but then he wasted it. It says he journeyed to a far country, and there he w- there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The word prodigal means loud, wild, crazy. He was living a life with wild parties and all that stuff, and you know, you know, the music, the lights, all that. Like that's that that was him. That was him. Spending it, spending it, spending it. Bottle service, tables, everything. I, I just, I have a friend. He's not safe, but I just found out how much some of these bottles and tables cost. Like at a club or something. Like you're telling me you're going to put $3,000 down to have your own little table and a couple bottles? $3,000? Bro, send it over this way. I'll get you something to drink. <laughs> it won't be that, but it'll be something else. <laughs> Spent all his money, wasted it. The word wasted, it literally means, it, it was translated literally to blow away. So he took his money and he blew it away while living. Now, some people, you know, some, there's always, you know, someone who wants to be devil's advocate. Somebody out here is probably thinking like, oh, bendito, but he just needed to learn to live his life. Somebody's probably thinking like, oh, but, you know, he just needs to sow his wild oats. Everybody needs to make their own mistakes. And, and everybody needs to, you know, learn through life. Some of you guys may be thinking it. If not here, somebody watching online. But the thing is, the terrible part, the terrible part about that, we say, oh, they need to sow their, their oats in the, in, into the world. And then we're like, but what does the Bible say about sowing? What does the Bible say about sowing? Galatians chapter 6 says, Be not deceived, God is not mine, for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. What are you sowing? What are we sowing? Some of us are like, I don't know why this is happening to me now. Well, what did you do that got you here? What, what decisions did you make that got you here? We can always go back to God. Like, some of, us, some of us, I've done that. We've been with God. We've walked away with God. We've come back to God. But we know that when we come back to him, we've been, we were, we're worse than we went the first time, than the first time. Because we come back crawling like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I should have never left. And if you haven't done that yet and you're watching, don't wait till you get to that point. To then come back. How many countless testimonies do we hear of people saying, oh, I wish I, wish I would have made this decision sooner. I wish I was younger. I wish in my youth I would have decided to be firm in my walk with God. 
I wish I would have never left. We can look at this young man and see the foolishness of his choices before it even begins. The funny thing is that when you're in the middle of the situation, you don't see how foolish it is. And any of us have ever been so like deep in the loss in our sin and we think we're okay? And people are looking at us and like, bro, don't you see what's happening right now? <laughs> like, like, are you... Are you, are you not seeing this? And we, and we feel like we're crazy. We feel like we're the ones going crazy. Like, wait, how can you not notice this? How can you not see that what is happening in your life is a direct result of this, 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 and this, and this? But what happens is when we are caught in the moment, when you are in that middle of a situation, it's not so easy to see. The world makes, uh, the world makes it seem appealing and fun and this and that. And so what happens is there are moments that we are going for the ride and we're like, oh, this is fun. And those watching us are seeing how that ride has no end. You know the cartoons with the roller coasters that like are in mid-construction, right? And they, get, they go like this and then they up here and then like there's nothing left. So what happens is we're, we're, when you're lost in sin, you're going for the whole roller coaster ride and, our, and your friends in Christ are like, bro, like what are you doing? And they're seeing the fact that it ends in destruction and they're trying to save you. They're trying to reach out to you. They're trying to help you. And many of us, what do we do? Come on, man. Come on, man. Let me live. Hmm. All our choices have results, consequences. The money runs out. Not only does the money run out, but the fact is that in the same time that the money runs, runs out, the land goes into a famine. Like the, like the, the, the area that he's in is a famine. There's a, there's a drought. There's a, there's a lack of food. Um, and so now this man has fallen upon some desperate times. Let's, let's, let's look at uh, verses 14 to 16, and we're going to see some truth about sin. It says, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, he began to, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Sin will lead us away from the Father's house. It will lead us away from the Father's house, promising us the world and ending us up in slavery. When, when it says, when, when it says uh, and I think I might, say this, I might say this a little later, but when it says he, he joined himself to a citizen of that country, what literally is talking about is that he sold himself to this individual. And he, he, he became like their servant, their slave. And, he, and then that's why he said as, as that gentleman's, as that individual's slave, he was sent to feed pigs. Because back then, you don't feed pigs. Like uh, my servants, my slaves will do that, but I won't touch a pig. Right? Sin will promise us freedom but bring slavery. It may promise success, but it brings failure. It promises life but it brings death. Romans 6.23, the first part of that verse says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The consequences of our sin is death. You know, the problem is that the longer we are away, the longer we are in that far country, the longer we rebel against God, the hungrier and emptier we become. You ever, you ever been in church, like li living your walk with God, and you feel excited, you feel empowered, you feel motivated, and then you like, you know, you miss a couple weeks. You know, things come up, and, and you don't really connect, and you don't go to any of the studies. You don't really stay in touch with anyone from the, from the body. And what happens is before you know it, you're two months out, and it doesn't feel the same anymore. You just don't, it's just, you feel like, uh, like, like, I don't know if I want to do that, or I don't know. And, and all, before you know it, the longer you're away, 
emptier you become, but also the hungrier you become. And what happens is if you don't go back to the Father's house, then you will be trying to sustain that hunger with all the wrong things. And I just want to say you'll probably be eating pig slop. That's what you're doing. When you find yourself hungry, starving because you're away from the Father's house and you don't come back, you're eating the slop of pigs. There's three steps to returning home. And the first is to wake up to our true condition. If you look at the next verse, chapter seven, uh, verse 17, it says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and to spare? And I perish with hunger. He, now, now, this is true wokeness. I know society will push something else. But when we can come to a, realiz- a realization of where we truly are in life, right? His money ran out. Um, no doubt he probably was like, oh, I'll make it back. You know how some of us are like, I'll get that back. I'll work hard. I'll, I'll get it. And then, then famine hit. Then he's feeding pigs. <laughs> Things got so bad, it finally got his attention. Some of us are in stages in our life that things are starting to get so bad, it's finally starting to get your attention. It's finally starting to get your attention. The combination of being forced to, to hire himself out as a slave and seeing that the pigs had more food than he did was real, it made him realize, well, you know what? Um, I, may have, I may have done a wrong thing. I think I made some bad decisions. You know, the first step of rehab, right? We know alcohol, uh, drug rehab, is admitting that you, that you, who you are at that moment. My name is Vince, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Vince. And then we and move forward, right? But we can't move forward until we make that realization, until, until we come to ourselves the way that he did in this moment. Our road home uh, begins when we realize, when we realize that we are heading in the wrong direction and we need to go back to God. The second step is that the second step home is confession. Let's read 18, verses 18 and 19. I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, this is a confession. He didn't excuse his behavior as understandable, right? Why is it that many times (laughs) a lot of us will start confessing our sin but then excusing it? You know what I'm saying? You try to explain it out like, you know, there was an article about uh, excuses, uh, honesty and excuses in America. And the writer in this article said that people use three types of excuses when guilty of wrongdoing. The first one is the outright, outright denial, rejection of any involvement. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. Uh, but, sir, we, it wasn't me. We have the, but now they have the, we have the speed cameras. We have the, 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 the red light cameras. I wasn't driving. It wasn't me. I didn't have my car. Like, whatever the case may be, it was outright denial, right? Um, kids, don't do that. I didn't do it. I just saw you do it. I just saw you do it. Outright denial. The second is, it's not my fault excuse, right? Person begins to uh, look around for someone that he can blame. It's not my fault, you see, because this woman that you gave me, Lord... It's not my fault because she, the one that you gave me, made me eat of the tree. You know, when we use those, uh, that excuse, it's often someone, a loved one, someone close, a husband, a wife, a parent. You know, teens use it all the time with their parents, right? Right? Oh, okay. A third is, I did it, but... I did it, but in this instance, a person blames the circumstances for what happened. 
I'm sorry about stealing the car, but what happened was you left the keys on the counter. And I had to get to school, and I was already kind of late. But since you left the keys on the counter, I decided to just, just take it. Just take it. Confession is not the same as being sorry that you got caught. You know? It's, it's a big difference. It's being sorry that you sinned in the first place. Not sorry that I got caught, but sorry that I sinned in the first place. <laughs> to confess means to own up to your own behavior. Like, own up to it. How can, how can we can be men and women, gangsters, about all the other things, but we can't be a gangster to be like, my bad. That's my fault. That's my fault. To confess, right? Uh, it's, it's, it was my fault. It's not because of bad parenting. It's not because of poor genetics. It's not because of jealous siblings or a chemical imbalance because I eat junk food every day. Right, medical students? That's a real thing? All right. But we still can't blame it on that. Psalms 51, 4, we see David's confession after he sins, right? The commits adultery with Bathsheba. He says, against you and you alone, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. He was like, God, I did it. I did what was wrong. It was evil in your sight. I did it. Sorry. I'm punishing me. Like, hey, whatever you do, I deserve it. That's a confession. No deals, no negotiations, no strings attached. Why do we think we can confess with some deals and stuff? You know, some people are like, all right, look, what happened before I tell you, though, can I? And we try to negotiate. Owning up to the wrong you have done. The third step on the road home is repentance. It says uh, in verse 20, the first part of verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. The sign that he truly repented was when he turned from his wrongdoing and went home. That's repentance. So we say repentance is to turn away from what you do wrong, right? We can confess it. Lord, I'm sorry I did this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now, now. Repent from it. Turn from it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Some people are like, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, uh, I don't know, uh, I keep stealing the tissues from the church. I'm sorry I keep stealing the tissues from the church. I'm sorry I keep stealing. And God's like, okay, are you going to actually repent from it? Like, are you going to turn away and walk away from the tissues so you don't steal them? A recognition of sinful choices was good, but it's not enough. It's good to realize you got a tissue-stealing problem, right? It's, it's good that you realize that, but that's just not good enough. You got to do something about it, right? And so um, turning from these things is what's needed. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses, and forsakes them will have mercy. So confess, I got a, st- a tissue-stealing problem, and forsake it, not do it again. Not do it again. We'll have mercy. So we know that God loves us so much that he allows us to make our own choices. We know that um, God, uh, our loving Father, is willing and anxious to accept those that return to him, return home. And so in Luke chapter 15, verse 20 to 24, it says... And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and his sandals on his, on sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this is my son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. When the son left, the father didn't chase him. 
You understand this? The father didn't chase him, and the scripture doesn't tell us that he fell apart, like his whole world fell apart. It doesn't say any of that. It says he gave him what he wanted, the guy left. He didn't chase him. His world didn't fall apart. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us that he gave up hope, but it also shows us that he doesn't retaliate by withholding his forgiveness when his son comes back home. Some of the worst things we can do, the most damaging things that we can do to someone is that when someone finally becomes vulnerable to a point to ask for forgiveness is to withhold your forgiveness because of your grudge. You know how hard it is to, to realize I was wrong, I should have never done this, let me go say sorry, let me let the person know that it was my fault, and then they say, Stevie, listen, man, it was me all along, I should never did this, I should never said this to you, and Stevie's like, huh, now, nah, man, I don't got time for you. Oh, it hurts. Not only does that hurt, but now, guess what, I probably won't want to do that again. But the word tells me I should be forgiving. I should forgive all, right? Forgive my, uh, for, I should be forgiving because I've been forgiven much. That's what the word tells me, to forgive. But now I made that step. Now I'm damaged. Now I never want to do it. So now it's keeping me from, being, from fulfilling a commandment in the word of God. Do you see how it all gets tangled up? Everything about the father's reception of his son is significant, Right? The kiss in this culture is a sign of acceptance, a, t- a sign of friendship. He accepts him back into a circle. But he doesn't stop with just a hug and a kiss. He calls for a robe, a ring, sandals. Kill a fat calf. The robe stands for honor. The ring stands for authority. If, if a man gave you a family ring, it usually has some kind of like signet or like seal, family seal on it. And when you're walking around with that, that was almost like power of attorney. Like you, like this represented the family. So like, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have gone to some countries where they do like, I'll pay you later kind of stuff. You know, like in some third world countries, you can, you can put a tab up. And um, in Dominican Republic, um, I had an uncle my uncle just passed away last week, and it was, a, it was a rough week for me because I took my family on vacation, and we, are, we just landed on vacation to find out my uncle just passed. And I know that many of you guys have heard the stories of me up in the mountains and the, in the hills of the Dominican Republic and, and all that stuff, and that was the uncle that I've always referred to. He was the one that would always take me out there, and he was the one that would do these things. And um, he also had a, a store in the town, and... I was 12 years old, and I would run it. And he'd be like, look, whenever someone says, pay you later, just make sure you know which name. Put it on the right name. And people would go in there, and they'd be like, oh, Diaz, I'm going to take a dozen eggs. And I'm like, all right. And just write it down. And they would just leave with it. The ring was just similar to it. The ring represented the family. And we'd be like, you know what? Hey, it's me. Smith family. Oh, okay, okay, we got you. I, mean, I, know, I know who you are. And so he puts the ring on him giving him that authority, right? And he put shoes on him as, um, as the shoes stand for, like, you're no longer a slave, you're a son. In the, in the household, the children of the master wore shoes, but the ones of slaves did not. And so it's, it, it separated him and, and, and gave him his place again. Someone asked Abraham Lincoln toward the end of the Civil War, how are you going to treat those rebellious Southerners when the war is over? And he replied, I will treat them as though they had never been away. And that is what our Heavenly Father does. He treats us as though we've never been away. I know this firsthand because I was raised in church. My parents raised me in the church, and I chose to leave. I chose to walk away from it all. And I have experienced coming back to the Father and him loving me as if I never left. During the First World War, a widow lost her only son and her husband. And one night, while this woman's grief was so severe, she had a dream. And this angel stood before her and says, hey, if you can have your son back for 10 minutes, what 10 minutes would you choose? Would it be um, when he was a little baby? 
Um, would it be when he was just starting school? Would it be when he's completing high school? Or would it be, you know, as uh, the young man right before he left to the army? Like, what would it be? The mother thought for a few moments, and she said, in, um, like in her dream, she was like, let me have him back when, as a little boy, in a moment of anger, he doubled up his fist and shook them at me and said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. She continued to say in her dream, she goes, in a little while, his anger kind of calmed down. He came back to her with his dirty little face, staying with tears, and he put his arm around her. Mama, I'm so sorry I was naughty. I promise never to be bad again, and I love you with all my heart. She says, let me have those 10 minutes back. She says, I never loved him more than at that moment when he changed his attitude and came back to me. Some of us have shaken our fist in our rebelliousness, and we've walked away from God, and God is waiting for us to change our attitude to change our direction, and to come back to him, to say sorry, to repent, to confess, and to just allow him to embrace us as he pretends like it never happened, ever. Lastly, the father expects his children to rejoice over the return of the fallen. Luke chapter 15, 25 to 32, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. <laughs> it's funny, though. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's funny, but, like, was he not invited? Like, was this a surprise? It says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Someone forgot to give him the memo that there was about to be a party going on. All right, so he's walking and, he's, and he sees this. So he called one of the servants and asked, what is going on? What are these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received um, him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes, not even my brother, right? He's like, not, not, he doesn't say as soon as my brother, no, as soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. <laughs> Man, first of all, this guy, is, he wasn't even there, so how does he know? But you killed the fatted calf for him. You can see he's hating right now. He's, he's hating. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The, oldest brother, the older brother really didn't understand his father any better than his younger brother had. He considered himself nothing more than an unappreciated servant to his dad. That's what he's saying. He compared himself to that. We can see that he's angry, he's resentful, um, that the father has not catered to his wishes and rewarded him what he thinks he deserves. You know what the sad thing is? The sad thing that this happens within the body of Christ still today. Not in this, not in this setting, not in this church, ever. But there are times when those that have been in the Father's house for many years, right? Those that have been serving, those that have been working, volunteering, those that have given Sundays up to just be a part of what the structure that you guys see when you walk in and walk out, those that have given themselves to serve, some, some of those, sometimes, some of those people kind of get a little uncomfortable when we make such a big deal when someone comes to Christ. It's kind of like they start hating all over again. Like, guess what? We're going to be excited every time someone comes to Christ. We're going to throw, throw a party here because there's a party in heaven, right? 
right? And so we're going to celebrate. We're going we're gonna to clap. We're going to yell. We're going to scream. We're going to hug. We're going to love you because you have made the best decision that you will ever make in your life. However, sometimes there's that older brother that's like, I never got a party. No one ever hugged me. I didn't get a welcome bag or a new believer's bag or a Bible from the church. Right? Come on. We need to celebrate. We need to jump up and down. We need to, do you understand that this person was once heading toward eternal damnation, and now they made a decision, and they will have eternal life? And you, you were in the Father's house. Everything that was his was yours all along. So why, you, why, why do we have to compare? In closing, in closing, have you ever noticed that this story doesn't really have an ending? Like, well, what happens? Whatever happens to the older brother and the younger brother, we don't know how the older brother eventually reacts to the brother's return. Um, we can imagine some possible endings, right? And then, when, and then when we get up there, be like, all right, Jesus, can you, can you finish the story for me? Can you let me know what happens? Perhaps the older brother finally gives in and he forgave his brother. You know what? Come here. Bring it in. Bring it in. I'm glad you're home. I'm, a little, I'm still a little hating, a little hurt that, you know, dad never did this for me, but I'm glad you're home. Did that ha- could that have happened? Maybe. Could he have possibly be like, listen, man, since, since you spent everything that you had, I'll split my inheritance with you. Some of y'all are like, no, not me. Mm-mm. He made his decisions. He spent his. I'm keeping mine. Perhaps he was like, you know what? Don't have to worry about it. You can live here. You can live with us. My land is your land. Or in today's world, it's easy to imagine because of everything that's around us and the, and the way the world is, it's, it, we could imagine that he, perhaps maybe he grew bitter. Maybe he grew bitter against his father and decided to leave. <laughs> it just, it's funny because I just thought about how true this really is in today within the Father's house. In our church settings, people get bitter, and what they do? They leave. They go to another Father's house, and they get bitter, and then they leave. They go somewhere else, they get hurt, bitter, angry, and then they leave. And then a couple years later, I then find out the real reason of why someone left in the first place. Why is it that at times we can be like this older brother and not be too pleased to see the Father forgive someone other than ourselves, right? When we see how God forgives us, we're like, oh, yo, thank you, thank you, thank you. But when, but when we see God forgiving someone else, it, it, sometimes it's hard for us. Like when I mentioned the fact of the Jeffrey Dahmer story like three weeks ago or so, it, it was hard for some of us to swallow that perhaps there's a possibility that Jeffrey Dahmer, after doing all of what he did, all the killing, the murdering, the cannibalism, all that nastiness, could possibly be in heaven right now? And it could it probably bothers some of us like, oh, heck no. But if he truly, if it, but if it's true that he, that he confessed, he repented, and he accepted Christ into his heart, then some of us are going to be seeing him up there. There's three truths that Jesus wants us to understand, and we talked about it today. He loves you so much that he's going to let you make your own decisions. Listen, 
because you can make your own decisions, this is important. Because this helps us decide what is right and what is wrong. God the Father loves you so much that he's willing and anxious to accept those who return home. He's not going to He's not going to scold. He's not waiting with the, with the belt. <laughs> he's not waiting on the porch with the belt in his underwear like my dad was. <laughs> he's waiting there, anxious. Anxious. You know what anxious means? Like, come on, come on, come on. Come on, virgin. Come on, Priscilla. Come on, come on. Josiah, come on. Like, 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 he, like he, he's anxious. Thirdly, the father expects his children to rejoice over the return of the fallen. As a church, as a church family that we are, every time someone comes to Christ, it's a celebration. It's a moment to embrace, to open your arms, to hug, to sing, to shout, to be excited for them. We should never be like the older brother and feel like, well, what about me? especially when you've already been in the house. Everything already belongs to you. You're, you're supposedly already found. You're found already. That person was lost, and now they too are found. I want us to ask ourselves today, let's be honest, let's do a self-reflection. Do you truly know the Father? Do you know the Father? Have you experienced His unconditional love? Have you ever walked away making choices, following desires that you thought were right? And then when you finally find yourself in the middle where, where it's so bad that now you can see how bad it is that you realize that you should have never left home in the first place. There is no perfect example of a father other than our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father is waiting today, right now, with arms wide open. He's anxiously waiting. He's like, he's like this right now. He's waiting for you to take a step a step forward and say, you know what? I've made some choices I shouldn't have made. You know, I, I, I took certain things and I squandered it. I, I lived recklessly. You know, I, I, I shouldn't have done some of the things that I've done and, and I want to I find my way back home. And lastly, some of us may be struggling, kind of relating to that older brother. Like, you know, why, you know maybe, maybe we're not as comfortable as seeing good things go to other people. And God doesn't want us to be this way. It's time we leave that at the altar. 